Play up! We are not an education podcast. Insert sound effects. With just playing the Paw Patrol intro. I mean, we started some real stinkers in the OI. Sean Alexander, Robin. Hello, everybody. Welcome again to Jockstrap. I am Andy Mayer, here with Jesse Lieberman and Nate Hartman, as always. Um, how's your guys' week been? Not too bad. Um, I learned I'm in Gryffindor. Much to the surprise of everybody. Yeah. And I think I did well How on my you? finance test. I'm not sure, but okay, I Yeah, you did. I found out I'm doing my student teaching at Ballard High School, which is kind of like a... Oh. You know who the athletic director at Ballard High School is? Darby Haskins. Darby? Eric Enzyme. Now that is fun. Oh. Yeah, Can you is. say hello for me? I'll, I'll let him know he say hello. <laughs> that guy loved me. That was the yeah. one, the first time I realized the advantage I can have in life by getting people who everyone else hates to like me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you do do that well. All right. Yeah. On that note, let's start with the news. Um, first big piece of news this week, uh, Naomi Osaka dropping out of the French Open. Uh, she said beforehand she wasn't going, before even the start of the tournament, she was not going to take part in any press conferences. Um, she stuck true to that for the first round. They fined her $15,000 and said they would do even more if she continued to sit out. And she, I guess, stuck it to them and uh, decided that she's done for the tournament. Uh, I actually thought this was sort of an interesting discussion to be had here because sports, at its heart, is entertainment. So uh, to what aspect do, or to what extent do you guys believe that um, athletes owe this to the fans, or in the case of Osaka, someone who clearly has had issues with anxiety, um, is this something that you don't believe is part of their um, job? So I th- it's it's a hundred percent part of their job. N- to me, no other way around it. Um, it's it, it it's become a generational thing. Kyrie Irving took it to a new level by being a dismissive prick this past off season to a bunch of uh, beat reporters. Uh, that somehow a lot of athletes think they're entitled not to speak to the media because they're athletes. It starts in college where co- the colleges don't let them anywhere near near uh, the student reporters or the regular reporters. That being said, um, I think it's complete. I completely respect her the anxiety thing. I mean, you know, mental health and anxiety; those are totally legitimate things. Uh, and I, you know. Her decision, I don't think she should get any flack for making the decision to withdraw and do that. And good for her doing what is right for her mental health. That being said, speaking to the press is part of her job. And uh, I think that I hope that she finds ways to cope with it and and do that. Uh, And it's a – yeah, I don't think – Athletes often don't realize that it's a symbiotic relationship, the press and uh, athletics, even with the advent of Twitter and stuff where, and the Players' Tribune where everyone can talk directly to each other. The, me, you got, everyone's going to be making a lot less money on sports without the media, and that's my opinion on it. And I would say certainly with an individual sport like tennis, I think it's all the more important. Uh, You know, we obviously saw Seahawks fans march on and his anxiety and all that he went through. Um, But there were just so many characters on that team that they could carry, you know, go on with it. Was it actually an anxiety thing for Marshawn or was it more of kind of a him thing? I'm surprised I've never told you this story. So Marshawn actually came to speak at my mom's school. 
and uh, he he was with a Greg Scruggs, who was some uh, lineman. Never, I think, was never on the active roster. Just you know, practice squad player, um, and he. He would not go out on stage for the first little bit. And then finally, Greg Scruggs literally pulled him off. And this is in front of 13-year-olds. There's no reason he has to be nervous. There's no reason, you know, it's not, the press isn't there. This is just, he's doing it to, you know, to celebrate the kids because they won some attendance award. Um, and he would not go out there alone. Uh, Greg Scruggs literally pulled him on stage. He just stood there basically in his sunglasses and his beanie. Um, and yeah, he just stood there while Greg Scruggs talked. And I mean, it clearly wasn't a personal thing. He just was anxious yeah I that's think... interesting because in the past he said it what it the there's been no indication it was any sort of anxiety thing especially considering he talked to the media freely in buffalo before he got to seattle um so that's interesting to hear that story yeah i i think um i i do think that mental health is something that hasn't been taken serious enough for athletes um up until recently maybe still isn't. Um, I get that talking to the media is a part of their job, um, but I think the basis of their job, the first part of their job, is playing the sport. And if it's affecting them playing the sport, like clearly it was taking up a lot of Naomi Osaka's mind. Um, She can't perform at a high level. I respect that. I think athlete mental health is very important and something that needs to be taken more seriously. Uh, And I think the, the note she put on Twitter after she... Uh, decided to withdraw was really personal and it seemed very valid and um, so I respect that I respect the hell out of her for it Um, and on a slightly less important piece of news um, Mariners still struggling and now even more hurt than they were this week alone, we lost Justin Dunn and uh, Kyle Lewis. Kyle Lewis, potentially for the season, it still uh, remains to be seen. Um, I, I mean, how much, I mean, especially two guys like Dunn and Lewis would really perform well. I mean, Lewis was hurt at the start of the season, but two guys who performed pretty well whenever they played the season. Um, I mean, how much just does it suck to see guys like this go down in what's supposed to be the year where these guys who have already been in the majors and gotten some at-bats and had some starts, uh, really start to find their footing and become legitimate major leaguers. How much do you think that sucks? Uh, it's the worst. Back? It sucks. Um, Dunn, it's, I'm, not, I'm not as concerned about. This is his first missed time, and he's looked phenomenal this year, assuming he can come back to groove. Uh, Kyle Lewis's knee, I'm just concerned about. I think this is something that he's just going to have to deal with throughout his career. Uh, and I said it in our chats. I would not play him in the outfield much at all anymore for the rest of his career. Um, I just don't think it's worth it as long as his bat is as productive as it is. It's just I get that he's a phenomenal defensive outfielder, but unless he can guarantee you, hey, I'm going to stop running into walls and stuff like that, which is part of what's I mean, part of what sets him apart as a defender. I. I, we've, there's too many defensive players who have just destroyed their knees out in the outfield by playing like he does out there, and I would not risk it. Or, I mean, maybe 50% of the time DH him, 50% of the time put him in right or left. It's just, yeah, it, that's what I'm just really concerned about his knee. This is going to be his third procedure on that knee. Yeah, I think you make a lot of really good points. I think, um, yeah, at least till he can prove he can stay healthy. I don't know. Yeah, I think the other thing that... Uh, you know, beyond just being sad for both of them who were 
a big parts of our future and Justin Dunn especially was pitching really well. I think it gives you less flexibility on what you can do with Kalanick now, who's continued to struggle a little bit. You know, obviously there's things that can be done in the major leagues to help him, but if he did need to go down just to get his, his swing back for a little bit, it, it straps you a little bit if you're trying to stay competitive and you really need him to step up and that might that's a lot for him. Um but yeah, I mean, Jesse makes good points. It's, it is worrisome, Kyle Lewis's knee, especially when you saw him play so well. Um, so we'll see how they handle it when they get back. Yeah, I mean, if you if he can hurt his knee just kind of jumping and landing awkwardly like that, it, I just don't see the benefit of the risk of having him out there. Now, of course, he can hurt his knee running the bases like Trout did, but yeah, he's too young to be dealing with these knee injuries, and I, yeah, I just wouldn't risk it. Andy, thoughts? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that I'm as concerned for his long-term health as you are. I don't know that this is, I think, obviously it's somewhat of a concern that was that same knee, but this is, this. Uh, it, I mean, that, that first knee injury was a contact. I mean, you know, it was obviously a collision. It, um, and obviously I think that did, your knee's probably never the same after that, but I don't know that this is necessarily a, a long-term trend it's just uh, clearly a setback for now and I, I don't disagree with the H&M I just I still think you have a very full career and this isn't necessarily a sign of more to come I hope you're right I just three procedures um, on the same knee like if it was a different if it was the other knee like okay but like come on you know <laughs> and that first injury yeah, was no, brutal <laughs> yeah yeah it was a bad knee injury um, anything else in the mirrors? Can, should we get to our um, last Oh, before we get to that, I want to apologize to Phil Jackson or Phil, uh, Phil Mickelson, not Phil Jackson. Phil, Phil Jackson. Mickelson. <laughs> I called him pretentious. Um, my mom lectured me, said he was a down to earth guy. I will take her word for it. Um, and, uh, yeah. So I apologize, Phil Mickelson. Um, it's so, very kind of you. Yeah. yeah that's right. <laughs> Lefty. <laughs> You know, I bet he's one of our favorite listeners. <laughs> the funny part. Well, considering my mom doesn't even, and we may have lost. I know, him considering after my mom doesn't week. even listen, so you know. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so, last piece of news, uh, probably a big. I mean, definitely the biggest one, no doubt. Uh, Coach K finally hanging up after this year, in what I would say was a giant attention and money grab. I don't know if you guys I would, would agree. agree, but what an arrogant thing to do, because he knows this is going to put the spotlight on Duke for the entire season. And there's not going to be a single Duke game that's non-national television. As if the man hasn't gotten enough press in his career. I, a number speak for themselves. Almost 1,200 wins, five national championships, three coach the years. Obviously, one of, if uh, probably the best college basketball men's, coach of yeah. all time. Um, men, men, sorry, yes, that's true. Um, and, I mean, my main concern is what happens to his podcast with Dave Sims. I just... I think that's really what should be on everyone's mind. With what? And it doesn't seem to be. His podcast with Dave thing. Sims, our loyal guest. Yes, he does a weekly podcast with Dave uh, Sims. Nate, you share uh, your views first. Um, now that the I, I, I kind of grew up a Duke fan. Man, um, because I hated Tyler Hansborough at UNC. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I like Duke for some reason. Um, Andy, have we they haven't been this? very good in we, recent we years. Chose to, we chose to host a podcast with this guy. 
Wait here, Nate, Nate. Can I give you thirty seconds? And this is why you should change your mind on uh, Tyler oh, Hansborough and Duke. I hate Tyler Hansborough. You can't change. All right, my so mind. Duke. Uh, all right, hold on one second. You may not change your mind on Tyler Hansborough. Duke has gentrified what used to be one of the wealthiest African American cities. Not only that, so there is now a white half and a black half town. The triangle area between where NC State, UNC, mm-hmm. and Duke are try to create a tri-city. Uh, mm-hmm. Rail system, yeah. you know, like the light rail we have in Seattle. Duke single-handedly shut it down in what a project that would have helped a lot of really poor people in Durham, a city they have basically ruined for African Americans, because they claimed that the light rail would have affected their sensitive medical equipment, which if UW can figure <laughs> it out, those those idiots over at UW can figure it out. I'm pretty sure Duke can. And then I like Tyler Hansbrough just because he talked to my dad. He seems like a great guy. He still actually lives Does in Chapel he? Hill, which is kind of cool. I well, mean, you convinced yeah. me on Duke. I, I mean, um, I knew Duke was a bunch of pretentious assholes at this point. I mean, but eight-year-old me did not know that, so I apologize for on behalf of eight-year-old <laughs> me. Um, no, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's it's a money grab. The only thing that really did catch my eye, I don't really, he's, I feel like he's been over the hill. His teams have not been good for a few years yes. now. Nate is um, getting at what I'm gonna get at. <laughs> he does have a kid. He does have a kid coming from Seattle next year that be interested to see number two recruit in the country out of O'Day. Um, that would be the only is reason. The number I'm two, two recruit in the country out of O'Day. Yeah, Paolo Banchero. I probably butcher his name, but um, anyway, um, that's probably the only reason I would ever tune into a Duke game next year. This doesn't change anything on me watching it. The only interesting thing that came from it was him saying that he got offered $40 million to coach the 2004 Lakers and turned it down, which I don't know why he would do that. And it's maybe lying about it just so he sounds like he's better to Duke than anything else. But I don't know. We've come to this point where we're, all, we're like, yeah, all these coaches that were once great are just a bunch of like sleazy D-bags. So I don't really care. Good riddance. Uh, I... So uh, I I wouldn't I wouldn't doubt he was offered forty million. I mean, what's he making? It I'm sure he's making ten million a year at Duke, something like that. So you need to offer him quite a bit to pry him away. That's why everyone Nick Saban, the idea of him leaving to the NFL is just not going to happen. You'd have to pay him more than he's getting paid there at Alabama, which brings me to the ultimate point. My all the ultimate thing is that I, he was over the hill. He couldn't adjust to national the rules of uh, transfer portals and the NILs and one and done. I just don't think. I mean, he couldn't really adjust. The guys won one championship in the past eleven years. Um, didn't even get out. Didn't even get past the. He's won two in the past uh, eleven years. He won uh, in 2010 right. and 2015. Um, but, I mean, that's true. I mean, for the most part, he just hasn't been that good. I mean, the teams haven't been that good. I mean, round of 64 exit, round of 32, got to the lead eight, didn't qualify last year. Uh, they're just not a dominant dynasty by any means the past few years. Villanova is much more successful team the past 10 years. Uh, as... Um, so, you know, and that goes to show you, to me, why Nick Saban is the greatest college coach maybe in all of sports history. <laughs> he has adapted to everything, be it the transfer portal, the uh, national letters of intent and stuff, and all the rules, no matter where they go, he is always adapting and is still the best coach in the game. And I don't think Coach K has been the most dominant 
coach in the game for at least five years, if not more. Uh, so, yeah. And also, he was coach, Duke was also named in that, uh, in the probe of, uh, in the FBI probe a few years back. And guess what? No one mentioned anything because it was Coach K and it was Duke and we're going to treat him like holy water. The same thing happened when John Wooden retired. Suddenly everything came out about, oh God, who was the water mogul? The water mogul who was paying Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and all those guys down there for him. It's college basketball, the sleaziest of the sleazy. I'm, I won't be surprised if in the next few years we start hearing stuff coming out. I'm not saying he's Rick Pitino. He's not Rick Pitino. But I don't think the guy is the That's greatest. That's a low bar, though. It is a very low bar. I also uh, think I could flip him upside down and paint a picture with him, given how much dye is on his hair. Uh, all right. All right. Well, all articulate basketball <laughs> points. Um, I think that will do it for news Thank this you, week. Everybody. Roll Tide. Big saving. So we begged Jesse to not do another basketball <laughs> segment, and he just wouldn't listen. He screamed, and he texted, and he left voicemails, and he said, we need to talk about this. This is all accurate. And so, so here it is. So, um, as we are recording this, uh, a whole, like, five minutes ago, the Blazers just lost. Um, I think, as it's sort of a local team, I don't know, not quite, but, you know, closest team we have. Um, let's talk about that series. Obviously, Damian Lillard killed it. Um, and it still wasn't I mean, enough. what he did two nights ago was just... Nate, do you want... Yeah ridiculous right 12 threes 50 some points single-handedly the reason they were even in that game um and again that was one of the best yeah that was one of the best athletic performances i've ever seen it was absurd it was (laughs) was absolutely bonkers i was was like this can't be happening (laughs) it was one of those things you watch and you're like yeah this one will be remembered for a long time um and yet his teammates let him down and they lost and again tonight they're up I think Jesse said 14 or something along those lines. I ended up like losing 20. by eight or nine. And just did, the, his team just didn't, he didn't play very well in the last stretch of the game, but they were doubling him every time and his teammates couldn't hit open shots. And it's just, I don't know. You look at the free agents that are coming up this year and it's nobody that I think would take, get them over the hump. And so it's, it's either they're going to have to trade for somebody or he's going to have to make something happen because they were just wasting his time. And, of course, he gets teammate of the year, his teammate of the year award before this game tonight <laughs> and then goes and loses again in a, in a series that his if he had one other player, they probably could have won. I mean, the Nuggets had lost their one of their best what? players in Jamal Murray. and Just, I don't know, I feel bad for him. And So, Nate, can I ask you something about this team? Because this team's always sort of confused me. It, they have Damian Lillard, obviously one of the – top five, yeah. ten players in the league. I They really seem to have a good, you know, supporting cast around them with McCollum, Whiteside, Nurkic. What, I mean, I know injuries have been the cause of some of those. I, a lot of those guys like Whiteside not performing like yeah. he did in Miami. But, I mean, they've put together a good team. What do you think happened with this the last couple of years that they clearly need Yeah, to I mean, I kind of touched on it last week. And I, I just think C.J. McCollum, pro- McCollum has proved again and again that he's more of a third option who has number two option upside. 
and they have a good cast of players, if they just add another semi-star, I mean, a guy like, uh, he's been hurt in recent years, but Victor Oladipo is going to be a free agent. A guy who's performed well, who can be the number two to Damian Lillard. And as much as I do enjoy CJ McCollum, if he was their number three option, that team would be leaps and bounds better. And, I mean, Nurkic hasn't been healthy, and he's looked good at times, but, you know, again, in this series, he just gets manhandled by Jokic every time down the court. Um, like I said, I, and that's the thing, is that there's not really any free agent I think that they can bring in next year that's going to do what they need to do. Uh, they don't need a number one guy, but they definitely need a number two guy. Aren't they in general kind of fucked because no players are going to come play in a small market like that? I mean... Yeah, but they don't need a huge star player is what I'm saying. They just need a guy who can play next to Damian Lillard, which is a tough ask as well. I mean, he commands the ball a lot. But, I mean, like, okay, if Kawhi opts out and he goes there, sure, I could, you know, that'd be a, that'd be a solid one. I don't know why he'd go to Portland. But other than that, it's like, okay, DeMar DeRozan, he's 32. He's probably not going to get him over the hump. Oladipo, maybe. Like, there's just nobody in the free agent market that I think would do what they need at this point. I mean, Kawhi's kind of a quiet, weird guy. That yeah, kind of I guess he does. <laughs> he does fit the Portland mold. But again, he hasn't proved... He, he just... Did. Yeah, but I mean... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I just... It's just a shame, because, I mean, after... Ever since that team lost to Golden State in the Western Conference Finals, they have not shown any ability yeah. to win in the playoffs, and it's just sad that they're wasting all this for yeah. Damian Lillard. So I wonder if, if a star comes available, uh, some you know, you they make a move for one. Because, I mean, number one, you said it right before we started recording this, Terry Stotts is, is probably on his way out. I mean, I don't know how you can go on with that. Maybe he'll come on Ooh. our podcast. After we're just trash talking. <laughs> um, but no, I think... I think... If there's a guy that is up open for a trade, I mean, you have to go on while, while Damian Lillard is still playing like this. I mean, I don't know. It's tough. I think the toughest part is the fact that they're in Portland and players aren't going to go to Portland. Uh, that's fair. Just because that's the generation that – that's how it is now. you got players in Miami. I, I mean, New Jersey, New York, whatever. I mean, they would be on the Knicks if it wasn't for James Dolan. Dolan. Uh, and then you have L.A., and that's where players go to play in free agency. There's people like Lillard and uh, Antikatuka Pudabumbo who play in small markets that they were yes. drafted by. <laughs> um, but uh, the reality is what you're saying they need isn't going to happen because they're a small market team, I think, which is well, sad, the other, uh, but that's re- the way it is. Really the only reason those two guys play in those markets still is because they got super max deals that incentivize them to stay. They, can't, they could not make as yeah. much money as they make in that area but i don't know i mean yeah we'll we'll see what happens i mean trades are a little different because you can kind of make something happen but yeah um same reason the spurs aren't as good anymore no one wants to go play in san antonio despite they don't it's like they don't want to play for the if they act if nba players actually gave the shits about winning like they claim they would they would have teamed up in san antonio but they they don't they want publicity as much as they want to win which is fine but, like, that's just how it is right now, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, game that's coming on right now, Lakers-Suns. Obviously, the Lakers got absolutely Let's dismantled go in game five. Um, I, I, I'm trying to watch right now. I don't, Anthony Davis, I believe, is playing. 
Um, don't know how healthy he is. is he it's in healthy? LA. Um, um, Nate, wait, Nate, I just want to ask you one question. Do, do, can you remember LeBron James game manhandled on a playoff <laughs> game like that? Because I mean, there was besides Golden maybe State that finals where. Yeah, that with when Love and Irving were out. But Probably that's the only not. Time I can think of where didn't he, he get swept by the Spurs like in two thousand seven or whatever it was? But I don't think he got worked by like thirty. Somebody look it up. You know, I'll look it up. I mean, maybe, but I, I mean, I think he was in most of those games. I think, I think, I mean, you put this in the in the show. That, that hold up, twenty fourteen Heat, uh, the Heat versus Spurs. They just got worked. They lost by an average of like twenty two. They lost by an average of 22? That's what I recall looking at. Yeah. Recall looking at. You are looking no, at let's, right let me now. Hold up. Here, keep talking, Nate. Uh, they lost by 17. They lost by 21. They lost by 19. 30 is different. I, uh, that's an extra 10, and that feels like yeah, a This is the finals. Because there's so much this garbage This is the finals, time. and you're getting blown out by 17 and 20. I mean, that's blown out in my mind. Um. <laughs> okay, yeah, then then yes, one other time in 2014, that's fair. Um but yeah, uh, you put this in the in the show notes of is this more of a of a loss for the Lakers or a win for the Suns? And that's that's very interesting. Um depends on what lens you're looking at it through. If you're looking at it through like a LeBron James lens, maybe a loss, but yeah, I mean it's cool to see the Suns where they're at. I mean, you have to be happy if you're Phoenix even if they don't go any farther to beat the defending champions healthy or not as such a young team is is super exciting. I think they're a really fun team to watch. I mean, Chris Paul has really elevated them. Um, but it's just proven that, I mean, the Lakers don't have anybody that can really stop DeAndre Ayton down low or rebound, especially if Anthony Davis isn't playing. So, I mean, we'll see what happens tonight. I mean, Drummond tried to fill that role, but he's just, I mean, he's nowhere near the offensive exactly. presence, obviously, that Davis is. So even if he's getting that done on defense, it's not enough to make up for, you know, his sixth Yeah, and, and this Lakers roster, too, I mean, it's pretty bad. Is not, it's not great without Anthony Davis on the floor. You know, LeBron or Anthony Davis, neither of them could probably lead this team by themselves, unfortunately. And, and the Suns are deep. That's, that's, that's the problem, so... I don't know. We'll see what happens tonight. Let's go, Suns. Um, go ahead. Well, I don't like the Lakers. The Lakers Terrence, are the Yankees uh, of real... the NBA. Fuck them. You said that nine times. All I right. Know. I know. Thank you, Jesse. Um, uh, Nate, give me your prediction for this series. Do the uh, Lakers lose in six, seven, or do they actually win? Uh, pull out the series in seven. I I'm not big into predicting things, but I would like to believe LeBron James and Anthony Davis dig deep and pull out one here and at least make it a game in Game 7. But when Devin Booker's doing things like he just did with a step-back three, it's kind of hard to predict that. Well, on the other side of the bracket, there's a lot going on, too. Uh, obviously, the one seed, the Sixers. Uh, and no, shocker! Sort of on. Un- <laughs> these- it's just so hard, these seven-footers. <laughs> Gain lower would body you, injuries. That was so good. That's what my future would you rather. Would you rather have Joel Embiid's lower body or Anthony Davis's? Well, if I have to have the unit I just said lower Joel body. Embiid, but. I don't know. I just. I, I don't know. I just wanted to add that in. Um, so Embiid's. He's listed his day to day. It's a small meniscus tear. Um. It, I mean, he's he's probably going to be hobbled for at least 
next series probably beyond that too. Do you see them even gain past the Fox uh, the next round? I mean, or do you think they're done, Nate? I think the 76ers overall are a better team. I mean, they still have uh, they still have uh, Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris, if I'm not mistaken, who are two very good basketball players. They're good defensively. Um, and the Hawks, I mean, they, they played a Knicks team that definitely overachieved. So I'm, I'm, I think they could get past the Hawks, but they're not getting past the Bucks or the Nets if Embiid's not 100%. And that's I think that's that's gonna be a fun series, the Bucks and the Nets. Even uh, well, so uh, let's talk about that one then, because I don't want to dwell on Joel Embiid being hurt for the twentieth time. Um, obviously, I mean, I said before this show that, or before sorry, a couple weeks back uh, that the Bucks were my yeah. dark horse team. Uh, I think they're finally gonna achieve the yeah. way they should have. And I think at some point someone's gonna expose this Nets team because I just don't think they play very well together, and I think they will yeah, next year. But I, they just don't have enough. Yeah, just super teams tend exactly. to not come they, together. They don't seem the to have. Year. I was watching a couple games, um, in that Celtics series, and yeah, they don't seem to have a lot of continuity. It's just like here, Kevin, you do this. All right, Kyrie's turn. Now it's James Harden's turn. The Bucks are a very good defensive team. I mean, Drew Holiday, an incredible defensive point guard. Giannis, obviously, an incredible defender as well. Um, <sighs> There's just a lot of talent on the Nets side. I don't know if I can really bet against them at this point with a guy like Kevin Durant getting healthier, same with James Harden, and same with Kyrie Irving. I, I don't know if I could bet against them. However, again, the Bucks are probably the better team in terms of team basketball, but that, that Nets team just has way too much talent, I think. Isn't Drew Holiday out for the playoffs or something? Is he? Probably should have figured that out beforehand. There's somebody, some point guard or something of theirs is out for the playoffs. Uh, Drew Holiday is fine. Said Drew Holiday stepped up, so I don't know. Yeah, Drew Holiday and Chris Milton are fine. Dante is, I mean, D. Probably Vin, the most Vin, important players. Vin, Vin. Oh, Dante. Yeah, the, the point guard. Parker, yeah. My bad. Didn't realize he was the backup. He's out of Villanova. Speaking of Villanova. I knew, I know his, I mean, I, yeah, I recognize the name. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, like you said, the, I mean, the Bucks are the better team, probably playing team basketball, and Giannis is incredible, but the Nets have more talent. So if the Nets can even put something together to play team basketball, I don't know if the Bucks can beat them. It'll be a good series, but I'd take the Nets in six. Jesse, who would you take? I really hope the Nets lose. One unlikable team. I mean, but it's basketball. The most talented huh. team will probably win, right? You know. Yeah, I mean, I think that's you can definitely unless make you're LeBron in those... the finals. <laughs> well, if you're looking at those, um, those warrior t- warriors. Well, that's the argument is that LeBron never had the more talented team in any of those finals. Well, the Mavericks. The Mavericks. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean. Okay, fine, but I'm saying, were if we're talking talented. about the the Spurs and the Warriors and I the Spurs th- I again... Both, the heat t- both those Heat teams were more talented. All right, we are not ESPN. How does this always divulge? Anyway, um, uh, I think uh, th- one of the other things about that Warriors team, not near the end, obviously, in that Raptors series, but b- those other few years, I, I mean... That was a good basketball team. They played well together. 
Um, and so if the, and the Nets just don't have that yet. Um, but if they can put something like that together, then I can see it happening. And just for reference, uh, you know, it's a regular season. It goes on way too long, and the Nets were never uh, never had Irving, Harden, and Durant in the same game. But the Bucks did go 2-1 and one against the Nets That's a good uh, point. in the regular yeah. season. Um, I mean... I mean, all games, all the games were within six, though. So hopefully, it's a good series going off of the regular season matchup. I bet alone. it will be, and hopefully, Kyrie Irving doesn't step on any logos. Cause God, how disrespectful! So that was fake news. <laughs> that actually didn't happen. What do you mean? That thing about are you referring to the thing about uh, the white trash guy for the Celtics quitting? What by no, stomping talking, on a logo? Well, I was talking. About, well, I was talking about Kyrie Irving. Stepped on the logo, and that's why apparently he got the popcorn thrown at him. That's what they said. Oh, oh. It the was water the water bottle. bottle popcorn made. was Russell Westbrook, you're right. I thought, I thought you were referring to the thing about him stepping on. There was this fake story that went around that uh, Kyrie Irving stomped on the logo, and that was why uh, What's-His-Name quit. I forget who the Celtics guy was. Oh. That was Oh. <laughs> I don't believe that. <laughs> no, exactly. A dumb story, yeah. Anyway, yeah, we can wrap this up. I, the last thing I wanted to touch on is just it does feel like a lot in these playoffs as fans have come back. There's just been way too many fan, um, bad fan interactions with players. You know, Russell Westbrook got the popcorn thrown at him. Kyrie Irving gets the water bottle thrown at him. John Morant's parents get, you know, racist things said to them. You know, I don't know. It just it felt like kind of messy in that regard off the court. And that's just I feel like that's really frustrating. And Anthony Davis looks really hurt, so that's that's nice. Yeah, people aren't behaving well lately. I don't know if it was the year locked in, but I was reading that incidents on airplanes are going through the roof. Also, hmm. it's also probably because uh, you know that Donald character put this. That's what he did to our society. Uh, hmm. So people like Andre and who, who voted for him, they can be proud of themselves. All right. Anyway, we can. All right. Next segment. All right. I guess I'm going to be starting off this segment. So this segment was inspired originally by Andy's suggestion that we have a draft of players who had similarly bad starts to Kelnick and then became good players. I do not think Kelnick is as bad as his start is actually that bad. Look, it's it's not good, it's not a world beater, but again, for the most part, until this past series, he was taking very good at bats and his approach was sound. And unless if you ask any of the scouts and stuff or Jerry Depoto, they will say the bat. They will point to the BABIP. If you're Andy, you'll say that's hogwash, but oh well. The activity we're going to be doing here today is we have each made a team of Hall of... Andy, is everyone on your list a Hall of Famer? Um, Hall of Famer or I think will be a Hall of Famer. All right, there you go. Uh, Of players who are or will be Hall of Famers that are going to who had similarly bad starts to their career. So we're going to start with, I mean, you want to just do it uh, 
Should we do one through nine? Like uh, start with pit pitchers, then catcher or catcher. Uh, let's start. Let's start bases. with catcher or catcher. We'll go. Kitcher, we can we can start with Kitcher. I don't know who Kitcher is, but if he's a player of yours, we can start with him. All right, let's start with Kitcher, and then we'll go, uh, yeah, around the diamond, and then we'll go into pitching. All right, talk to me. Who's your catcher? All right, my catcher, Johnny Bench. I don't know if you've heard of him. <laughs> I've heard of him. You have? All right, well. Can you tell me a little bit about his start, though? Um, so his first 93 plate appearances, he had a buck 63. Wow. 207 LBP, how... uh, OPS 462, one home run, six RBIs. And should we familiarize ourselves with Kelnick's numbers for, uh, by comparison? We should. Kelnick uh, is hitting a buck 10 with um, two home runs, six RBIs, um, 200 OBP, and 222 uh, slugging. Through how many plate appearances? Just over 70. I mean, it's changing every day, but when I, yeah, when I pulled these numbers, it was just over 70. There you go. Uh, mine is Buster Posey. In his rookie season, which was not very many games, it was only 10 games, he batted a buck 18 with a buck 18 on base percentage and a buck 18 slugging percentage. Is that good? <laughs> <And a 230. laughs> I don't know. You tell me. Uh, he came on like gangbusters the next year, batting 305. Andy, what's so exciting? Oh my God, Jake Fraley hit a home run. Yes, he hit a three-run homer. I'm actually watching it here on my. I watched it. I saw it live on my iPad. I was gonna tell you, but you were doing your your final thoughts, and I didn't want to interrupt you. I I would have made it all about that. I, Jake Fraley, future <laughs> Hall of Famer, on base king. All right, check into my first base pick. Yeah, let's go with your first baseman. All right. Um. Harmon Killebrew, shockingly bad start. Um, through 90 games, uh, 219 average, nine home runs, 23 RBIs, which, given his career numbers, wildly unimpressive. Uh, struck out 33% of the time, which now is about par for the course for a power hitter, but back then, <laughs> it was pretty damn bad. I, yeah, Harmon Killebrew, that's a good one. You know, there's one of those obscure Hall of Famers that were, like, really good players that, but, you know... You always forget about him. Yeah. Well, that's what being on that's the Twins will do. He, won, he won an MVP, I believe. And yeah. yeah. He was a good player. He had 500 home runs, didn't he? Yep. Yeah. All right. Let me pull up my roster here to make sure I have my first baseman correct. Because uh, I lost the piece of paper I uh, wrote it on. I know. Me losing things beyond belief. But here we are. Ah, my first baseman is Pete Rose. Again, a guy you may have heard of. In uh, in his first season, let's see if it loads here. His first hundred, his first get. Come on, baseball reference. Give give. I hate you, baseball reference. All right. Well, for those of you who don't know, Pete Rose played for Cincinnati for most of his career. Although he did win a World Series with the. Uh, with who what's what are their names the expos philadelphia oh. no philadelphia expos never won a world Astros? series no expos i don't know what i see <laughs> it's late no they did not <laughs> no they did not all right here we go do, 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 do. if baseball re- through his first 60 plate appearances he uh, Pete Rose batted 213 with a three. He had a 360 on base percentage, but he was also only slugging 
350. And he, he was playing a different era, so he didn't strike out a lot. He only had six strikeouts. But I think it qualifies, considering he was a base hit sort of guy. He was only batting 213. Was he a base hit kind of guy? 50. I didn't know that. <laughs> he was a base hit sort of guy. Through his first 50 plate appearances. So, yeah. There's another. That's that's my guy. I think my guy was better than your guy at first base, for the record. Um, well, mine had a worse start, though, so. Yeah, that's true. Your catcher was better than my catcher. All right, I'm going to go with my middle infielders because I want to uh, – they seem to be – they need to go as a pair for no particular reason. Um, okay, I'm listening. So my second baseman is Joe Morgan, and this one I sort of – I looked at him. This is sort of a tough one because I have read so many books and it is so – I can only imagine what it was like to be an African-American baseball player playing at 19 um, in 1963. You're saying you didn't experience that, Andy? I did not quite. Um, you know, being in Seattle, from Seattle is almost as oppressive a place. But um, <laughs> I hit 210, uh, slug 242. So those a J.P. Crawford kind of numbers for you. Um, <laughs> through his first 62 at-bats, uh, not a single home run, just one triple. Um, and three ribbies. Um and my shortstop uh, on the other, playing up the middle also uh, is Luke Appling. So I have a bit of a throwback. He started uh, in 1930. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, you know, just, <laughs> I guess he was the live ball era. Yeah, it was after World War One. I'd say that's very relevant, Jesse. <laughs> um, <laughs> this one, he, he, this was quite an extended struggle. This was the first 100 games of his career. Um, only hit 238 with a 622 OPS. Uh, single home run. Wasn't much of a power threat, but uh, still a single home run isn't great. Um, yeah. Again, he was bad. At, he was playing in 1930, so I wouldn't expect him to be much of a power threat. I would. Well, <laughs> those are my middle infielders. Who you got? Um, I guess I'll start off with, so for those who are listening, they should note that my team is going to be filled with a bunch of charmers. Not only do I have Pete Rose at first base, I'm going to have Alex Rodriguez at shortstop. <laughs> Where, in case you guys didn't know, his rookie year in, across 60 plate appearances, he batted 204 with a 240 on base percentage and slugged 204. And by all accounts, he was probably already using steroids at that point. And his OPS plus was, get this, 16. He had a 16 OPS plus. <laughs> um, so, you know, that was through 20, about 20 games. I'm rounding up. Uh, he's my middle infielder. And then my other one is who hopefully was less of a – at second base, who's going to hopefully get along a little bit better with him than Derek Jeter did, is Brooks Robinson. Again, this one's kind of a cheat. I, 60 play appearances, he's bad 250 with a 270 on base percentage, but he only slugged 250. Um, OPS plus of 66, so not good for a Hall of Famer who two seasons later had a OPS of 170 and had a, or pardon me, an OPS plus of 170 and had a career OPS plus of 175. Turned it around after 20 games. So those are my two middle infielders. Um, so, pardon me. I, did I say Brooks Robinson? Yeah, yeah. I meant Roger. Okay, so first off, you should have corrected me there. Brooks Roger Robinson's the third base. I'm sorry, I wasn't. Yes, Brooks Robinson's the third base. I think Roger you Hornsby know your players. My... I'm just embarrassed on your behalf. I like to play them out of position just for the hell of it. All right, like the Scott Service. At second base, exactly. At second base, I have Roger Hornsby. All right. Uh, well, do you go ahead and jump into your third baseman then? 
Well, my third baseman's numbers I just recited. So the, Robinson. tell us about Roger Hornsby. Maybe the, okay. Roger Hornsby in his first season. No, I, I, oh, I guess I said Roger Hornsby's numbers, but I uh, – oh, here we go. This is going off the rails. Brooks Robinson had a much worse start than Roger Hornsby. Brooks Robinson, across his first two seasons – he batted a buck 82 with 194 on base percentage, slug 288 for an OPS plus of 32. Uh, and uh, for a Hall of Fame third baseman, you expect better than that. Uh, now, again, Brooks Robinson was the greatest defensive uh, third baseman of all time, but he was also a guy who could hit 300 in, on occasion. And... Uh, Got off to a slow start there. His first season across uh, only six games, he batted 091. It's not great. Nope. It's even worse than Jared Kalenic. <laughs> it's, it's the first guy who had a worse. Yeah. That is the one thing I will say. It's I, I, well, I I don't think this means much for Jared Kalenic's career. It is hard to find Hall of Famers who had starts as bad as Kalenic. Well, I want to point this out also, is that he's playing in a different era than all these guys we've named. Nobody, I mean, it's just, look at the game right now. It is literally the worst offensive season ever. I mean, like, what the hell? Uh, so I don't, I, I, I was first a little bit concerned about that, and then I started looking at the, uh, then I was, like, thinking about the era and stuff, especially in terms of strikeouts and things like that. I don't know. No, I, I, I agree. I was just, just thinking about um, so my third baseman, because I went in order, um, is Mike Schmidt, who uh, across who's he? I, I, well, I'm glad you asked. I'll explain. Um, Thank you. Maybe the greatest third baseman ever, right? Perhaps. Uh, his first 145 games across two seasons, um, only hit a buck 97. He did hit the crap out of the ball with those at bats because he had 19 home runs, um, slugged over twice as a- almost twice as average, but. Uh, Sounds like Mike Schmidt. Buck 97, not a great start for a full season. Um, no, and that's a whole season. That's yeah, more no, at-bats than Kelnick or any of our guys have gotten. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, especially for someone who finished with a career average 267. Might be more at-bats than Kyle Lewis has. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Kyle Lewis had about 110 games. <laughs> yeah, he's been around for three seasons. <laughs> All right, you want to move into the outfield? Yeah, let's do this. I will start off with uh, my, I guess he's going to be my center fielder here. He's another real charmer. His name is Ty Cobb. Him and Pete Rose, I think we'll just get along swimmingly. Uh, <laughs> Ty Cobb, his, his first season uh, at 160 plate appearances. Again, this is a guy who ended up, who batted 421 season. He batted 230. 286 on base percentage, slug 298, OPS plus of 85. That's Ty Cobb for you. Again, arguably the career leader in batting average at 366. Maybe the greatest pure hitter besides, I don't know, Barry Bonds or whatever. One of the best hitters of all time. Uh, started bat his first season, he batted 238, and he struck out twice as much as he walked in an era when no one struck out. He struck out 23 times across 165 plate appearances, which back then was a ton. I don't have the percentage on me because I'm not looking at fan graphs. I'm on baseball reference, but terrible start in 1905 
before Ty Cobb when baseball was just new. <laughs> they finally stopped using a peach pit and actually threw a baseball. <laughs> it was the dead ball era. This is true. Um, mine is the most obvious one across these two lineups. I'm sure you've heard the story. Mike Trout had a terrible start to his career. Had to be sent down for a full month. Um, yep. Across his first 16 games, hit a buck 57 OPS of 528 uh, with a whole two home runs. It's really seller stuff. Um, didn't strike out too much. Struck out only uh, 20% of the time, which, again, for modern baseball is pretty average. Maybe a little above it. <laughs> I, hate, I hate modern baseball. Um, <laughs> well, good thing we're doing a 20-minute baseball segment. Um, and that's Mike Trout. <laughs> I'm sure as Mariners fans, we have all heard of him. Yeah, that's an understatement. So my next one is Ken Griffey Jr. I kind of cheated on this one. I took exactly 60 plate appearances. <laughs> He ended up having a very good rookie season, but through 60 plate appearances, and I don't have my splits on him here because Griffey notoriously, especially early on, struggled outside of Safeco Field. Griffey batted through six point, Jesse, please. My bad. My bad. It's not even Safeco Field anymore. It's T-Mobile Park. Yeah. Sure. (laughs) Which is better than the uh, fun fact, everyone. Our editor-in-chief over at the Hurricane, former editor-in-chief, called the... uh, Baseball, in case you don't know, baseball diamonds are usually called fields or parks. Uh, she referred to, she posted, she took over the social media because she thought that was a good thing to do for her day at the baseball game and said she was attending Miller Stadium to watch the baseball game. And in case any of you are wondering and want to get into credibility, don't go with stadium when talking to a uh, about a or, – or no, maybe she said arena. It might have been even worse. I think she might have said arena. I want to say she said arena. She called it Miller Arena. <laughs> yeah, either way, I thought it's a fun story. Uh, and Ken Griffey Jr., outside of the kingdom – uh, struggled, but in his time, again, this is a guy who did not strike very out very much for his career. He struck out again twice as much as he walked. He also batted a buck eighty nine, two forty six on base percentage, a BABIP of one ninety uh, on base percentage or of two forty six, and a slugging of three forty. Not great for arguably one of the best power hitters of this past generation who didn't use steroids. Uh, so yeah. Ken Griffey Jr. and Ty Cobb hanging out in the same outfield. Well, here, do you want, why don't you go up and finish up your outfield? I like doing these in twos. Jesus Christ. All right, well, my other uh, guy in my outfield is another charmer. Ken Griffey Jr., I'm going to hope is – well, actually, you know, what's going to be interesting is uh, how Ty Cobb will react to playing with two African-Americans. Uh, my <laughs> other outfielder is Barry Bonds. He struck out – the only time in his career when he struck out over 100 times was his rookie season. This is a guy who every single season for the rest of his career, basically, he walked more than he struck out. He struck out 102 times to 60 walks in his rookie year across 113 games. He batted 223 with a 330 on base percentage and a 416 slugging percentage. Barry Bonds, uh, arguably the greatest hitter of the cheating era <laughs> cheating era all right and uh yeah um so my two last two outfielders are tris speaker and carl yastrzemski 
played in slightly different races. eras. Um, they did play in slightly different eras. Trist Speaker, for those who are wondering, started in 1907. Even before the First World War. How exciting. <laughs> Him and Ty Cobb can relate to each other. Exactly. Dude, if anyone wants to pull Tris Speaker up on Baseball Reference, I think they will love his hat. His hat is something else. They completely <laughs> invest a lot in those hats. Um, but for his first uh, 38 games, 135 at-bats, he had only 215 with an OPS plus of 64. Um this was a guy who was known for hitting for average. His uh, highest average in the season was 389. Um, and he finished with a career average of 345. So 215, not quite living up to that standard. <laughs> he did get inconsistent playing time. I mean, this was across two seasons, and he only had 135 at-bats. But Tris Speaker is also your career leader for most career doubles, I do believe. That is correct, I believe, as well, yes. 792 doubles. Look at Jesse with the knowledge. Only two of those came in his first 135 bats. <laughs> and uh, my next one is Carl Yastrzemski to round out my outfield. Um, yes. I mean, he's probably right in the middle of this. The start doesn't really stand out in these lineups, but he only had 224, two home runs. It's like 341. Not horrible by any means, but certainly far under his Hall of Fame career averages. Wait, he didn't get into the Hall of Fame with a 224 average? No. Unfortunately. Hmm. But at uh, that, the way baseball's going, it might. Well, all right. See, there you go. The way baseball's going nowadays, he very well may be. People just are having, instead of being 300, you're just going to bat 250. That'll be the line where we start letting you in. Is batting average the new wins? Or are we just going to give up on it soon? <laughs> I hope not. I really hope not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's finish up our lineups with our pitchers. Well, they're not going to be bad. Well, I guess they will be batting because we didn't do DHs. All right, uh, my starting pitcher is Randy Johnson, big unit. I'm not even going to bother going through his numbers here. Everybody knows that Randy Johnson came over as the side piece in the trade with the the Mariners traded him to get. I'm got it. Mm, I'm killing myself for not knowing his name offhand. But Randy Johnson was a big power guy with uh, lots of arm, with lots of arm, and was just wild, and no one knew what the hell to make of him. I believe his ERA was like five six or something like that. Uh, here we go. Uh, Brian Holman was supposed, and Gene Harris were each supposed to be the superior prospects for uh, the great Mark Langston. A lot of people, or pardon me. Uh, Yeah, Mark Mark Langston was, uh, which people thought that was a bad trade at the time. So Randy Johnson, that's mine. The other one is Mar. This one's kind of cheap uh, for relief pitchers. Mariano Rivera, his numbers were when he was a starter, uh, that were so bad. After he moved over to the bullpen, he was pretty much his dominant self for literally till the final year of his career, where I believe he had 44 saves, which is kind of ridiculous when you think about it. Yeah, he had 44 saves in his final season of his career. Uh, Mariano Rivera, his rookie season, he pitched 70 innings. He had a 5.51 ERA. He gave up 30 walks by comparison. I guess he did have 50 strikeouts still, but... He also had a FIP of 515, whip of 1.5, considering his career whip was exactly one. That was not great. 
went on to be the greatest relief pitcher of all time. There you have it. Some would argue it's Trevor Hoffman, but that's okay. <laughs> Those who would do that would be wrong. <laughs> of course, it's not as bad as the uh, the Boston fans who argue it's Craig Kimbrell. So. I don't know what Boston fans these are, but all right. Um, so my starting pitcher is Greg Maddox. Um, obviously, a pitcher known for his control. He struggled in his first two seasons. Uh, across his, he had 32 starts in his first two seasons. He had a 5.59 ERA. And the, most, the thing that stood out most to me was his walks per nine was 4.1. His career average for walks per nine was 1.8. And wow. there was a three-season uh, three span where he never had a walks per nine above one. So for a guy with control like that, it was pretty crazy to think that he started with that lack of control. Um, and for my reliever, I picked Rich Goose Gossage. <laughs> <laughs> and this was because I wanted to say Goose Gossage and look at his mustache. But he also had a bad start uh. to his career. Um Sort of like uh, Mariano Rivera, they tried him out for a couple starts. I mean, it was mostly out of the bullpen, but to be fair to him, the, the starts he had were pretty bad. Um, ERA just under five across his first three seasons, actually. 95 games, 219 innings. So he got a substantial amount of work in before he really found his footing in the MLB. Yeah, and that's... Yeah. Uh, and there we have it, folks. The lineups, right? Sorry to interrupt you, Andy, there. Did you have anything else to say about your lineup? No, I just was looking at Goose's mustache. <laughs> um, Augusta's last thought. I hope this uh, leaves some of you all listening to us with a little bit more faith in Jared Kelnick going forward. I'll say this. My only concern with Kelnick here is the fact that he's never failed probably at any level. We always say this, how will they adjust to their first taste of failure? This is going to happen no matter what. I mean, every player goes through streaks that are like this at some point in time. And hopefully this will be a learning experience for him. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, hopefully, uh, you know, I I still think bringing him up, even though he was struggling, was probably the right call because I just don't think he was going to struggle in AAA. And I think – that he needed to struggle somewhere and that's fine it's unfortunate it had to happen with the whole world to see but here we are i think he'll get it sorted out i think moving him out of the leadoff was the right call i don't know why he was in there at all in the first place uh i thought it was fun to begin with but after like 10 days i was like all right this guy probably shouldn't be batting lead off here his at-bats are still good yada yada have faith. We've uh, spent 20 years of trying to have faith. I guess, what the hell, what's a little bit longer, right? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> the year is a little harder to be a Mariners fan, but that's all right. Yeah. Well, let's turn it over to final thoughts. All right. And as we've done the last few weeks, we are going to wrap up the show with last thoughts. Uh, Nate, do you want to go ahead and get started? Sure, I'll go first. I got a timer. Ready, go. Me and uh, me and Jesse were talking about this for a quick second off off the air. Um, we can maybe have this conversation another day too. But uh, Ron DeSantis making a, a huge deal out of signing this bill uh, banning transgender athletes, um, I think is just shameful um i don't think 
it's a problem, and I don't think it's nearly a big enough problem to have a huge press conference with merchandise. I don't know if merchandise, but, you know, like this is a big deal, like he's saving America and saving girls' sports, which he doesn't care about girls' sports. He just cares about banning transgender people. Um, and again, it may be a conversation we should have on another day, but I just thought it was shameful. It was just gross watching him do that and stand up there like he was saving the country and knowing a lot of people think he is saving the country. That bothers me. Um, I just don't think it's a, it's, a, it's, it's a big problem. It's just something people are choosing to make a big problem. All right. Very well said, Nate. Um, Jesse, do you want to go next? No, you can go. I didn't make it. Oh, okay. All right. Do you want me to keep track of your 60 seconds, or do you got it? No, I can do it. Uh, So first thing I want to talk about is the Yankees, who are doing shockingly poorly on offense. I did not realize quite how bad they were. The Yankees are second second to last in the AL runs scored. The Yankees have fewer runs scored than the Mariners, and the Orioles, who just lost 13 straight games uh, a couple weeks back. <laughs> well, it was over a couple weeks because there's 13 games. Um, I still think they're going to win the East. I think the offense performing this poorly is actually kind of a good sign, sign for the rest of them. Um, and, yeah, I think they're going to turn it around at some point and start hitting. The other person I want to uh, talk about is Rich Hill. Uh, some people have started calling him Dick Mountain um, for his – shocking resurgence with the Rays. Uh, a guy doesn't throw over, barely gets in the 90s, and he has an ERA uh, just over three in the month of May. He threw 35 innings uh, and allowed just three earned runs, and uh, what he's done is incredible uh, this season, and I just think he deserves a shout-out. Agreed. I know you're thinking the same thing, Nate, so I just want to Naturally, add that. Naturally, yeah. Thanks for taking the words right out of my mouth. Jesse. Okay. Uh, are you going to start my time? Yep. Go. Uh, I don't really have a whole ton to talk about today, so I'm going to do two things. I'm going to first compare myself to Damian Lillard. If anyone watched uh, Damian Lillard's game the other day where he was dragging half the team up and down, that's how I feel like dealing with my fellow editors on the school paper 90% of the time. I'm saying this knowing they're never going to hear it. If somebody does hear it, give me a call, and uh, especially Anna. <laughs> I would love – God, you guys are so useless. Uh, and I'm really hoping this next semester it doesn't continue down the same path. I really don't like useless bosses. No one does. I think they should start teaching how to be a good boss in school. Like this should be something that's focused on earlier on is how to communicate with people and how to like do your job more properly because – no one wants to hear about your issues, and at the same time, you should always be giving, putting in as much as what uh, your other writers and your workers are putting in. And lastly, I heard a quote that you are promoted to the level of incompetence. That sure seems to be true around University of Miami, where our president is an incompetent moron. And yeah, thank you. Wonderfully said. Didn't think I'd get a minute out of that, but here I am. <laughs> What was the other thing you were going to say? Uh, Julio Jones. <laughs> oh, all right. Well. Uh, all right. Well, that's all from us. So long, suckers. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. Woo.